a tremendous amount of confusion and controversy exists about the Holy Spirit today. We, we hear people who talk about uh, things like holy laughter, about um, falling down on the ground and, and, and twitching, um, even a, a growling or an aesthetic speech, or, or the idea of being slain in the Spirit, all in the name of the Holy Spirit. Part of the problem is that the Holy Spirit seems so mystical to us. Uh, We can picture God the Father. We can picture God the Son because we've seen fathers. We've seen sons. We, We know what they look like, but this spirit thing. When we try to picture the Holy Spirit, our minds can go blank and we we have to we have to rely on symbols on metaphors like like a dove or wind or fire to add to that different groups emphasize different things about the holy spirit the more charismatic and pentecostal churches focus on his power where evangelicals uh, emphasize the spirit's work through Jesus Christ. Roman Catholics focus on the Holy Spirit working through the church and through the hierarchy of the church. And some just seem to want to ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. So we have this mixed bag of what's out there. Now, when we talk about the nature of God, we say that God the Father God the Son, God the Spirit are what? They are one. We have to keep that in mind because God is essentially, constitutionally one. We see him in these three different ways. And yet, if we start focusing on one without the other two, we run the risk of developing a theology that's dangerous. Or if we focus on two and forget the other one, we have to keep remembering that God is one. There is a unity, even though we see him acting throughout history and acting in our lives in these three different distinct ways. There's a unity that's there. We've come up with the word Trinity to try to express what that that unity is. Um, The word itself is not a biblical word. Some people have a problem with that word. Uh, But it's trying to express a biblical ideal that absolutely is in Scripture, that the three are essentially one. In that teaching, we realize that the Holy Spirit is a person, not merely just some force or influence, that there is a a personality that's attached. There is a a distinction that is there. Now, Jesus, when he was on earth, he didn't go very far to really uncover much about the Holy Spirit, although he talked about the Spirit a good deal, and he talked about some characteristics of the Spirit. In John 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like, like the wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it came from or 
or where it's going, and the Spirit is like that. We, we can't see wind. We can't see the Spirit. We know it's there because of its effects. If you want to ask me why I believe the Holy Spirit exists, I can only tell you what I've experienced. And I can tell you as far as my life is concerned, I haven't spoken in languages I've never studied. I haven't been able to reach out and heal somebody in something in a miraculous way. But what I can tell you is, when I have been following towards God, and I have been working towards where he wants me to be, this person who grew up a loner and has walls out there that keep people at arm's length, I've seen those walls crumble. I've seen my heart become much more compassionate than it is just in my normal nature. I have a hard time not crying when it comes to a baptism. When people come to Christ, it touches me in a way that's different. And in those days and those times when I'm trying to speak of God and words don't come to my mind, somehow he still gives me the message. You see, I believe the Holy Spirit is there because I've seen him working in my life, changing me molding me as I seek to be more and more like Christ every day. But we can't see the Holy Spirit because he's a non-physical person. But we know who he is. We know what he does because we see his effects. One thing the Bible states about the Holy Spirit is in the Holy Spirit we find freedom. It is the thing that helps us to move away from the things that, that shackle us in this life. We even get to the point where this life no longer has hold of us as we look towards the future with the assurance that it is there. You, have, you who have confessed and been baptized and committed your life over to Christ, has God freed you from negative actions, from negative emotions, from sinful ways that were part of you that are no more? Are you experiencing that freedom in Christ? Have you ever stopped to think that that's the Holy Spirit working in you? The Holy Spirit is a counselor. Uh, we read in John 16, Jesus saying, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The word counselor here, many of you know, it's the word Paraclete comes from two words. It comes from the word which means to call and para, which, you know, we know what a perimeter is, right? Para means to come alongside. So this is called alongside is what it really means. In other words, the paraclete is the one who's called alongside of another person to offer assistance. And there really isn't an exact equivalent for this word in English. But one way to think about it 
Have you, have you ever considered what a paramedic does? A paramedic is someone who comes along somebody in their greatest need to offer help, medical assistance in that time of distress. And this term paraclete is translated counselor, which is as good as any translation. Also gets translated in other scriptures as comforter and helper and supporter, advocate, ally, and even as friend. As a paraclete, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to convict us of sin. The world lives in a state of spiritual blindness. They, they go about life not even caring or knowing how to get spiritually correct or even sometimes even recognizing that that part of us exists. They live in a state of denial about what it will be like when they have to stand before the presence of a holy, almighty God. Our tendency is to minimize our guilt before God to the point of looking at other people and saying, well, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I must be pretty good. Making excuses for the things that we do, realizing we're not realizing that we're using the wrong benchmark. Who is the real benchmark for holy living? Who is it? Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I compare my life to him, I fall pretty short. The Holy Spirit penetrates our evasions. It, it shatters our defenses. It, it silences our excuses to show us how we truly are when we will stand before God. And in a way, you could think of it as a magnet. There, there's that metaphor that the Spirit draws us into a relationship with Christ. Yet, it doesn't force us to do anything against our will. It's not a lasso that God slings out there and grabs us and hauls us in. It's a comforter. It's an encourager. It's a teacher, a mentor, an ally. A friend. We also read in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. In Ephesians 1, we read, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, I'm going to ask this of everybody but Randy, because I know Randy can't answer it, but all of you who have graduated from high school, raise your hand. See, I know that because he went to the school of hard knocks. (laughs) When you graduated from high school, what did you get? You got a a piece of paper. What do we call it? A diploma, okay? 
on that diploma is the fact that your name is there, you graduated, and then somebody wrote on there probably your principal, yes, maybe even uh, the, the, the head of the, the county or the school system may have their signature on there, but what else is on there? There's usually something embossed on there. What is that? It's a seal. What's the purpose of that seal? That seal is to say that that piece of paper is authentic. Yes? That seal is there to put, make sure that that diploma is genuine. So the Holy Spirit is God's authentication of our Christian faith. And it's been given to us as that seal. He's also described as a deposit. Now that sounds a little bit more like a banking term. Maybe something we can, we can understand if we look at it as well. Think of it like this. Um, recently, you may have had this, this happen, but you guys know recently we moved from Virginia up here. In order to move up here, we had to find some place that we can live. We wound up buying a house. Anybody in here tried to buy a house before? Do you realize what happens what, when you sign that first contract and you say, yes, I want to buy this house? What do you do? You give over what they call earnest money. Yes? Do you know what that earnest money is? It's a deposit to say what? I will complete this transaction, right? It goes in, and when you get to the sales day, it is included in with all of the money that's going to be put into the purchase of that house. But you have made that deposit to guarantee that you will pay the price for that piece of property. You see, when we look at it like that, The Holy Spirit reserves ownership of who we are and our ownership that God owns us through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the first installment. It's the down payment. It's the earnest that God has pledged to complete what he started in our lives when we gave ourselves over to him. Paul in Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day that Christ returns. He emphasizes that idea of the Holy Spirit being a deposit. Now if you think about it, slightly different terms, But that same idea of deposit was expressed by Peter on the day of Pentecost. When Peter in that famous speech says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are fall off, all who will call on the name of the Lord, all whom the Lord will call. Now you think about that. I want you to get this. That Holy Spirit that is promised at your baptism, Peter even says is the deposit, the insurance that God will save you. Now some people teach 
that you have to go through some special baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to have that indwelling. But if you read what Peter said, Peter teaches that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is normal in the life of every Christian. Because he's there to encourage and to guide, to come alongside of us, to teach, to admonish, to discipline, to be an ally, to be our friend. Now, the Holy Spirit may equip you for a certain task in a miraculous way. He may just change your whole life so that you are usable by God. It may not be anything super miraculous to the outside. But I can tell you there's a miracle that's happened in my heart because my view of other people is much different than it was before. Romans 8, 9, Paul agrees that this spirit is something that is essential to every Christian. For Paul writes, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Think about it. God the Father, God the Son... God the Spirit are one. You see, you can't be baptized into Christ and not have the Spirit and not have a Father because they are all one package. Are you following me? Say amen. Amen. Okay. The indwelling of the Spirit is a normal state for Christians. The Holy Spirit is also our mentor. Paul writes in Galatians, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature, the flesh, desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. What is he saying? Our normal, natural state is not where God wants us to be. He has given us free will. He allows us to make our own decisions. And you know what? You do that, and I'm going to make decisions that are going to benefit me. But what does Christ try to teach us? What do we get from the Holy Spirit? What do we get from God's Word? That I'm not created to satisfy me. I'm created to serve other people and to serve Him. Which means I have to set my proclivity to selfishness aside in order to do that. Which is what the spirit desires. That's why the flesh and the spirit are desiring two different things. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And then down in verse 25 Paul sums up and says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. This word live, both places where where it occurs here in, in this chapter in Galatians, it is literally the word walk. Now in context, walking in a certain way could be living. 
okay? But it's literally the word walk. Let me ask you, what is the purpose of walking? Get someplace, yes? Except me when I'm up here, it's just to burn off energy. <laughs> but it's to get someplace, right? And, 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 you know, and somehow, that's, sometimes that's the only way we can get from where we are to where we want to be, right? That's why we walk. Any of y'all ever been in a marching band? Some of you have? Okay. I was in the marching band when I was in high school. In fact, I got the privilege of being drum major back when I was in high school. You know what the greatest benefit of being drum major in a high school band is? You are never out of step. Now, if the rest of the band is ready, ready, waiting for me to start on my right foot, and I just happen to start off on my left foot, you know what that means? They better start on their left foot because I am not out of step. I set the pace as drum major. If God is the drum major of our lives, then he sets the pace. He sets the step. And we, as that band following him, adjust ourselves to what he is doing and where he is going. You see, committing your life to Christ is not the destination. It's the beginning of a journey. And a journey that is spiritual in nature, that moves us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Hopefully in a way we can repeat that process with someone else. When you think about a mentor, what comes to mind? In the Jewish sense, it's the idea of a craftsman who takes on an apprentice. The normal way of Jewish teaching when it came to trades and that sort of thing is a very simple process. I do, you watch. Then we do together. Then you do and I watch. And then you're released to go do to find your own apprentice to teach them. When it comes to being a mentor, it's part of that kind of a process where you come alongside somebody, you don't necessarily tell them everything what to do, but you help to guide them in the right direction as they are willing to listen and to learn. Do you know what happens to an apprentice who will not listen to their mentor, to the craftsman they're working for? Do you know what happens to them? They wind up having to go somewhere else. But mentoring is a hands-on relational process, offering encouragement and resources and advice to help us live up to our potential. A good mentor won't do what you should do for yourself. But they'll come alongside of you and encourage you to keep going forward, prompting, strengthening where and where we need it. Friend, 
Are you stuck? Do you feel discouraged? Is your spiritual life any different today than it was a year ago? How are you walking in a way that is keeping step with the Spirit? Are you praying? Are you reading? Are you listening for that still, small voice? Are you listening for the Spirit? The Holy Spirit is also our equipper. Now, you guys are familiar with these three passages, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. We find in there the, what's called the gifts of the Spirit, right? The, the way that the, the, the signs or the manifestations of the Spirit, the ways that the, the Spirit equips the saints. And that's, that's worth maybe more than one sermon. That's almost worth a series on its own. Um, but I give you the references. You can write them down. You can read them. They all talk about how the Spirit equips the church to function as a body in unity, not uniformity. In fact, Paul is very clear that we're not the same and we're not supposed to be the same, but we're supposed to take our strengths and support others' weaknesses as we move in unity together. Because, friends, we need each other. We have different functions. We have different skills. And the Holy Spirit equips us to function as one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 11, we read, All these, these works, these ways, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives each to each one just as he determines. And you know what? They're normal in the life of individual Christians. They point to a strength that you have. Therefore, the common good for strengthening the community and also building up the kingdom of God. We tend to overlook that. They're there to help us draw others to Christ. The Holy Spirit is also our sustainer. John 7 we read, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If any is one is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. And you notice what he says there? By this he meant the Spirit. Think about this just a second. Where else have we heard Jesus use this phrase? This phrase of, of living water. If, if you would have asked, if you knew who you were talking to, and you would have asked, he would have given you streams of living water. Where was that? Yeah, it was in John 4. When he's at Jacob's well talking to the Samaritan woman there by the well. 
Jesus told her that the Holy Spirit will be to his followers like a stream of living water. When you think about a stream, what comes to mind? Do you think about coolness, refreshment, maybe even a summer's day, which I would love to think about in this white world of Michigan right now? Let's continue with that verse, verse 39. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. What's he talking about? He's talking about the coming day of Pentecost, right? After Jesus had been crucified, buried, resurrected and glorified. We read in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit descended on the group, that 120. And it's described as a metaphor, right? With the sound of a mighty wind and and flickers of fire that was over their heads. And then we get this marvelous sermon from Peter on that first day of the church. And Jesus' promise was fulfilled as that Holy Spirit is now available for all of us to experience as God's wonderful gift of himself. In your bulletin, there is a connection card. I want you to take that out right now if you would please. When you look at it, they're on the front. Um, Here's a place, if you're visiting with us, your first time, second time, if you wouldn't mind marking that, give us uh, your name and and an email address. You don't have to give us any more information if you don't want to, but uh, we would appreciate that just so that we know that you're here. On the back side of the card, there are some things that you might want to do this week. There's a memory verse. There's some scripture for you to read over to remind you of of what we've talked about today. Maybe you want to go to Romans 12 and read through that or 1 Corinthians 12 and read through that or read the first part of Ephesians 4 to remind you of some things there. There are some things to sign up for, some things that are happening if you want to uh, be part of the women's Bible study that's coming up or part of the... um, Uh, the greeter training, Uh, please go ahead and mark that. There's also a place there that if you're wanting to find out more about what I'm talking about, if you want to find out more about what it means to be a follower of Christ, if if you want to find out more about baptism, if you'll mark that, I'll get it. I'll be glad to talk to you about it. If you have a decision that you want to make today, we're going to give you an opportunity for that. I'm going to pray here in just a moment, and during our closing song, our men will come through, and they will pick up your tithes and your offerings and put your connection card in there, and and I will get that. There's no way in just 20, 25 minutes I can really tell you everything about the Spirit. 
but I just want to whet your appetite a little bit and encourage you to realize that God himself who created you will give you the gift of himself to guide you if you will accept his offer of forgiveness through him paying the price for your sins on the cross of Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for your indescribable gift of yourself and how you give us every opportunity to learn who you are and to learn who we can be as we seek to follow you. We thank you for your son and for his obedience and sacrifice and you're not leaving us without guidance. This morning we praise your spirit and the comfort we draw by feeling your presence through him. We know that Lord Jesus had to die in order for us to experience you in this intensely personal way. And may we use what you give us through your spirit to advance your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.